If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 7. I think this is going to be our last message from chapter 7 of Revelation. It is our third straight week there. But I didn't want us to get out of the chapter and move on to chapter 8 without first looking or spending some extended time on this phrase, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Our focus today will be on Revelation 7-9. Revelation 7-9. If you look there, you'll see, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I was 19 years old before I had ever, ever heard anything like that. I grew up in the suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina, right across the county line, very, very similar to Bullitt County to Louisville is how I grew up, born and raised. We didn't travel much. I went to a high school that was like 98% white. By the time I hit college, I never had a friend that spoke another language. I didn't know anything about it. Never knew somebody that was even from Mexico. Because I was a basketball player, there was a little bit of diversity in my life. I had some teammates that were a little bit different from me. I had never, ever been introduced to this. I went off to college in South Georgia. I went to Tifton, Georgia, a small college called Abraham Baldwin. While there, because the college was small, we would go to college ministry at Valdosta State University, which is even further South Florida, because they had a thriving college ministry. When I was 19 years old in 1999 at a college ministry at Valdosta State University, the guest speaker that night told us that this verse, Revelation 7-9, shows us that God has a heart for all people. I had lived from 1979 to 1999, and nobody had ever shown me that. I spent all of my high school years in church, and I never heard that. Not only was I not hearing it from the Bible and from my church, but I wasn't experiencing it, seeing it anywhere at all. But that night... When he showed us that Revelation 7, 9 says every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be in heaven and will be crying out to God, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, it changed my life. That wasn't my salvation experience. I had become a believer earlier than that. I went to college as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. But like all of us are in the process of discipleship, there was still a lot for me to learn. We're all still learning. But I did not know that. But I assure you that day, God grew me. And he showed me in the scriptures that he, in his true holy word, has a heart for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. 
I want to show you today just how much God is about this. The first thing I want to show you is how often we see this phrase, okay? So turn back with me to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 5 says that Jesus has saved people from their sins, ransomed them from every tribe, every language spoken in the world, every people group, and every nation. Revelation 7, 9 says that when John sees heaven and that multitude that nobody could number before the throne, every tribe, language, people, and nation is there. He sees it. But this is the only time we see this phrase. Turn over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 9. You get later in Revelation, and there's a lot of battle going on between the devil and and, and what God's doing in the world. Persecution and tribulation in the life of the believers. But I just want you to see these words at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 11. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. But you see the phrase there. Turn over to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Turn over to chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. There are five verses right there just in this final book of Revelation about every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. If the book of Revelation is at least partly a look into heaven and to the future, you and I must know, we must recognize, must see and embrace that what God has been doing is doing and will be doing in the world is drawing people to himself from all over the place, from every walk of life. I have two very simple points this morning that I hope will shape and bring conviction to your faith. I hope today you, if it hasn't happened before, that you will be gripped by the power of God, the love of God, the plan of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that you would be faithful to the Scriptures, understand what God is doing in the world, and have a heart for the people that God is saving. My first point this morning is that there is diversity in heaven. Sticking with Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John is looking 
at heaven. He is looking at the scene around the throne where the Savior is. He's looking at heaven, and chapters 4 and 5 have already introduced this to us, that there's heaven, and there's a throne in the center of heaven, and there's all these things centered around the throne, worshiping him, and John looks at the worship in heaven going on around the throne. And what he sees, according to verse 9, is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Now they're standing before Christ, the Lamb slain. They are clothed in white robes, indicating their salvation, the forgiveness that they had, that their sins have been washed away. And they are singing or crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are specifically speaking about salvation. We're not going to go off the rails here. We're not going to lose sight of the Christian message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And without Christ, you cannot be forgiven. Salvation comes through him. But this passage here even shows you very exclusively, it's a good word to use when you study the salvation that comes through Christ, very exclusively that the focus is on Jesus. But those focused on Jesus are in a very, very diverse group. In other words, people from everywhere will be in heaven. I know that's simple, but you may have never heard it before. People from everywhere will be in heaven. Every tribe will be represented there. Every nation will be represented there. Every people group will be represented there, and every language will be represented there. I didn't learn this in a sociology class in college. I didn't learn this from some agenda of anybody in the world pushing an agenda. I learned this from the word of God, which is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. The word of God that is able to make us wise unto salvation and that is profitable for training in righteousness. There is diversity in heaven. People from everywhere will be there. Let me go through a few statistics. We are told that we are approaching 8 billion people in the world today. 7.8, 7.9 billion. The USA is the third most populated country in the world, and we are not to a billion yet. There are two countries in the world that already have over a billion people, massive countries, China and India. Tons of people there, way more than we have here. There are nearly 8 billion people in the world today. And today, there are 195 countries, nations, like the USA, like Canada, like England, like France, like Mexico, countries. There are 195 countries in the world today. We are to believe from the scriptures that there will be some people from all 195 countries in the world represented in heaven. But it doesn't just say 
nations. It says tribes and peoples. And we get to looking into this, we see that there is this idea of people groups. Not necessarily from a nation, because inside of a nation there can be huge differences. They can speak a different language, and they can have very different cultures. They may be from the same country, but still very different. We call those people groups. And depending on who you're listening to, there are somewhere between 12,000 and 18,000 different people groups in the world today. People groups in the world today. I want to read to you uh, an explanation of this idea of people groups. This is from David Platt, who used to be the lead of our IMB. He says, most agree that when we talk about nations or peoples, that we are talking about ethnic groups of people who share common language and cultural characteristics. When Jesus gave his initial command, like Pastor Matt read this morning, make disciples of all nations, the word used there, ethne, refers to ethnic groups. Jesus was not referring to the 200 or so geopolitical entities that we might envision as nations today. Jesus was commanding his followers to make disciples among all the ethnic groups of the world, not merely among the Israelites. Jesus was and is Lord over all the peoples of the world. And God aims to be known, enjoyed, feared, and worshipped by all of them. All of history is headed toward the day when every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all of the ethne of the world will have been reached with the gospel. These people groups... And I'm saying it's somewhere between 12,000 and 18,000. These people groups will gather around the throne and give glory to God and to the Lamb. So there are nearly 8 billion people in the world today. There are 195, 200 countries in the world today. There are somewhere between 12 and 18,000 people groups in the world today. And yet, we, then we have the word languages. And we're familiar with languages. We're here today speaking English. There are over 7,000 known languages in the world today. That's a lot. That's a lot of different languages. But listen to this. 23 languages, only 23 out of over 7,000, 23 languages make up the mother tongue, so the, the, the first language, of over 4 billion people. So over half the people in the world are speaking just 23 languages or can. Okay, that, that, that makes it a little bit more understandable for us. But the further out you get from these bigger languages, those 23 languages, you have tribal languages and people that speak all sorts of different things, dialects, people that live in the hills or in the mountains or far out in the jungle or the desert or whatever. There are over 7,000 known languages in the world today. Whether it's only the 23, whether it's all the way to the 7,000, where it's somewhere in the middle, the Bible tells us that all languages will be in heaven around the throne worshiping the Savior. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. There is diversity in heaven. 
It's good for us to understand that the work that God is doing in the world, the the missions work, the drawing the people to himself, the work that God is doing in the world is bringing these people to himself. Missions is us going out and sharing the gospel and taking the truth of God's word to the nations. And this is happening all over the place. And we are to be encouraged that God is working through that. You and I are to know here today that even in the midst of great trials and obstacles and certainly negativity and hardship and suffering and discouragement, God is working greatly in the world today. He is. I want to remind you that the Bible has always been telling us this, but it wasn't emphasized as strongly throughout the Bible, and so we at times didn't catch it. The original original call and covenant to Abram, okay? The original call and covenant to Abram. Early in the Bible, in Genesis 12, verse 3, says this. I will bless those who bless you, God speaking to Abram. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Listen to this. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We turn over to chapter 22. This is the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. If you turn over to Genesis 22, verse 18, and you hear this. Again, talking to Abram. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The beginning of the Bible, Genesis. God working through Abram, the father of the people of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God working through Abram. He says, all the nations. We just weren't looking for that at the time. And so we didn't pick up on that as much as we do, say, in the book of Acts or in the great commission from Christ. But remember this. When God started this call with Abram, his name was Abram, which means exalted father. Big guy, important role, important name, head of a lot of things, exalted father. And God is the one in that calling to bless all the nations. God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which now does not mean exalted father, means the father of many nations, the father of a multitude. God changed his name to mean that. We are to recognize in the truth of God's word, in what God is doing in the world, is that God is working and saving people from all over the place. And in the book of Revelation, when we see a picture into heaven as seen by John and reported to us, there is much representation there. There is diversity In heaven. That should, in turn, turn us on to diversity that we have around us. It should catch our attention and bring our minds to the idea that people and their differences are not something pushed away by God, but they are something in the plan of God in which God is drawing people out of those differences to Himself. We are to never look at anybody, not somebody here today, not somebody in our house, not somebody down the street or on the other side of the world as somebody that is different, so therefore not for God, but rather see people as made by God, designed by God in that situation, and God very well could save them as he has saved us. 
There is diversity in heaven. Even this morning, right now, we're missing it. The French Open final is going on right now. Rafael Nadal is playing on behalf of Spain. He's a Spaniard. And he's playing against this Norwegian, last name Rude. Right now, they're probably in third set. There'll be a replay this afternoon for the French Open final. We got a Spaniard who speaks Spanish playing a Norwegian, I mean, a Norwegian that speaks Norwegian. He's from Norway. In Paris, France, so everybody there speaks French, being broadcast to us in America in English. Four languages right there. You and I should remember when you see that, when you see the flag on the screen, you and I should be thinking, that will be represented in heaven. I don't know if those guys will be in heaven, but their language will be, their people will be. God's saving work is going out everywhere, and it is our responsibility to be involved with it. Once you know that God's work is working among all people in all places, it encourages you to have your heart open for the differences. When I was a young man, my parents made me work early. Got my first job at the local grocery store when I was 14 years old bagging groceries. But before that, so before I was 14, I had to mow grass to try to make some money. I've tried to carry that over into my family life, and so now me and my boys mow grass. And just on Friday, we were in those neighborhoods on the other side of the movies over by Preston, those neighborhoods back in there mowing grass. The boys love working and getting hot and sweaty and getting exhausted. They love it. While we're mowing grass out there in the hot heat, a neighbor... Latino guy, Hispanic guy, Spanish-speaking guy, walks over while we're mowing grass, and he says, y'all mow any yards? I said, well, well, we can. He says, think you mow mine? I said, well, it looks like it just got mowed. He said, yeah, I mowed it yesterday, but I'm tired of mowing this grass, man. It's hot. I, will y'all do it? I said, yeah, we can do it. He said, all right, do you, do you have a card? I said, no, we, we don't have a card. I could just give you my number. And I said, wait a second, I, I do have a card. And I reached in the truck and I got a card, but it was my church card. So then I felt like I had to explain grass mowers with a church card. So I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. I'm just trying to help my kids learn to mow grass. He said, where are you pastor at? And I said, in, in Fairdale. He said, that's not the church by the Dairy Queen, is it? I said, yeah, it is. He said, man, I'm 33 years old. But I graduated high school in 2007 from Fairdale. That's the church that fed us spaghetti before our Friday night football games, and I played. We ended up talking more about grass, but before we left, I said, hey, let me ask you one more question. Looking back, it's been 15 years. The church feeding y'all pregame meals, what'd that do to you? How'd you feel about that? He's a Mexican guy. He said, man, I wasn't a believer in high school. I'm a believer now. And it was hard to ignore the church being so good to us. Is that good? It's fantastic. We haven't been seeing the fruit. We don't often get to see the fruit. 
that God does. We just sang that song that said, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. Once he walked away and I got back to weed eating, I sang to myself, glory, glory, he reigns. When we got in the truck, I said, boys, 1 Corinthians says, one person plants the seeds, another person waters the seeds, but God gives the growth. And in 2007, we fed some kids a meal, and we opened up the Bible, and we told them about Christ. And 15 years later, a Mexican man wants his grass mowed, and God brings it out that that was a small little seed or watering that brought him to faith in Christ. God is working in so many different ways, in so many different places, in so many different people, in so many different languages. It's a beautiful thing for us to recognize that there is diversity in heaven and people from everywhere will be in heaven. Number one, there is diversity in heaven. We must see Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. But the world wants us to misunderstand diversity. God is the creator of it. As followers of God, we look to God, we learn from God. God is the one who opens the eyes of our heart and enlightens the eyes of our heart. God is the one who gives us understanding. This is a common prayer in the Psalms. Lord, give us understanding. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we can embrace diversity in the way that God would have us to understand diversity. Diversity is God's idea. And as I said at the beginning, I must admit, like many of you, that my upbringing, sadly, did not inform me of God's heart and salvation and plan for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. God is the one saving a diverse crowd. I want to show you this from the book of Daniel before we get into my second point. If you know where Daniel is, turn there really quickly. Daniel chapter 3, this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the story of the fiery furnace. You've heard this. But I want to show you some details that you may have missed. Remember, there were four young Israelites, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In this story, Daniel's not one of the main characters. It's Daniel in the lion's den it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the fiery furnace. So you got King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, doesn't have anything to do with God and his people at all. And he's working hard to get people to just worship him. At Daniel chapter 3, verse 7, you hear this. Therefore, 3, 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, look what it says next. All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
This was not just Babylonian worship. This was not just king worship, not just idol worship. This is the king of Babylon teaching them idol worship far and wide. It even says there, all peoples, all nations, all languages. We can't miss that. Well, that's not right, and they knew it. If you'll stay at chapter 3 and turn over to verse 16, when he's about to throw them in because they did not bow down and worship this idol, look what they say at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see the resolve there of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we can't miss that it was the peoples, the nations, and the languages being taught to worship a false god. Well, if you turn over to chapter 7, stay in Daniel. You turn over to chapter 7, we're now on to Daniel, and Daniel has a vision. And this is very much so like Revelation. These are these apocalyptic visions. They pop up here in the Old Testament in some of the prophets, and Daniel is one of them. And Daniel has a vision that most likely is Christ. Look at verse 13. 713. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was pre presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Look at this that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. We have here in the Old Testament, in the prophets, among the Jewish people, the nations, every tribe, language, and nation, people being taught to worship all the other gods, and that being represented as wrong, taught to us as wrong, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not doing it. And then we have Daniel having a dream of the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, reigning in his kingdom, a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away, that will never be destroyed, but a kingdom that is made up of people of all nations, peoples, and languages in the Old Testament. This is the heart of God. And so in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, which, which we read earlier, we have Jesus telling us to go out to every nation. In Acts chapter 1, right before the Holy Spirit comes, we are told that we should be his witnesses to all the places on earth. And so in Revelation, we see all the places on earth having been reached, and therefore they have trusted in Christ, some of them, and therefore they are in heaven. This is God's plan, and it was God's design. Now, at this point, we must recognize and admit, and we must say, that diversity just for diversity's sake, is not 
the point. Not all diversity is good. And this is why we must be people of the book. This is why God's word must be our lamp and our guide. And we must recognize that while I have spent half the service already pointing out that there is diversity in heaven, that the focus of heaven is not diversity. The focus of heaven is God, reigning, seated on his throne, surrounded by a diverse group that he loves, that his son died for, that his son has ransomed and redeemed. And that diverse group, loved by God, knows him, knows him personally. That group loves him, serves him day and night. The divi- that diverse group worships him. And so while there is diversity in heaven, secondly, and this is, there's only two points today, secondly, there is unity in heaven. And the great challenge of our day is how in the world do we promote both diversity and unity? And, by and large, we should all admit, very few are good at it. For in trying to emphasize unity, we mess up on diversity. And in trying to emphasize diversity, we mess up on unity. But leave it to God, the one worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. God Almighty, the best, the one true and living God, to know how to do it. God has created both beautiful, harmonious diversity and unity in heaven. The people from everywhere that create the diversity that have made it to heaven will be there in heaven because they love Jesus Christ. The salvation that God is doing in the world exclusively through his son Christ that died on the cross for the sins of the world. The work that God is doing in the world is drawing people to himself through the priest preached message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins preached all over the world. And in preaching that message, God's Holy Spirit draws people to himself. The diverse group in heaven is extremely unified on loving Jesus Christ. Without a faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, you will not be in heaven. Without a faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we struggle to benefit from diversity. We must recognize that Revelation says both of these things. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, yes. Crying out before the throne, salvation belongs to our God and to the, to the Lamb, yes. This is how the New Testament, the book of Revelation, wants us to understand diversity. That we are to encounter diversity with the eyes of God and the heart of God, understanding the plan of God and the beautiful work of Christ on the cross 
so that that diverse group can find their true purpose and meaning through Christ. And there is unity in heaven around the Savior. Now, this unity that we see in heaven is made not by classes, not by education. It's not made by certain trainings. It is made by the power of God through his Holy Spirit working in all places. As God's people move forward with God's word and preach the gospel of Christ, God's Holy Spirit works in those places according to the preached cross of Christ and draws people to himself. This is not what one group is trying to make happen in the world. This is not what one nation is trying to make happen in the world. This is the work that God is doing in the world as he planned it from the beginning, as we've seen it played out throughout the whole of history, throughout all the Bible. He told Abraham that day, you will bless all the nations, or all the nations will be blessed through you. This is what God is doing. It's not what a church gets a hold of because a preacher preaches a sermon like this. It's not what a school tries to get their kids to understand. This is what God is doing in the world. He is exalting his son. He is getting all the glory. People are singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain from everywhere because he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changes hearts. If you don't believe this, we need to turn you onto it more and more and more. There are people all over the place loving Christ, clinging to his word. There are. There are. I want to share with you a story that came out about three years ago. Lots of churches, lots of denominations are struggling these days. The world, just, the world is changing uh, so quickly that lots of people and things are shifting and people are having to wrestle with, well, who are we and who are we going to be? Baptists and Southern Baptists and Christian denominations all over the place are. And the United Methodist Church really is right now, divided and working through it. And the United Methodist Church is a global denomination. And here in America, the United Methodist Church is really wrestling with especially their sexual ethics. What direction are they going to go? Are they going to follow the scriptures like they always have? Are they going to break off from that? I think the vote is supposed to go down maybe even this week for them to split. But I want to share with you not so much that, but just the response from Africa. The the believers in the United Methodist Church in Africa, okay? This is coming from Dr. Jerry Kula, dean of the Barnga School of Theology in the United Methodist University in Liberia, Africa, okay? Now, his response here is not to America. His response here is not to Americans, His response is to the United Methodist Church in America telling him, okay? Don't get caught up or distracted at thinking that now this is an African getting on Americans. That's not what this is. This is his people, United Methodists, trying to tell them. Okay, listen to this. 2019. He says, brothers and sisters of the United Methodist Church from all around the world, I humbly greet you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. 
We thank God for all who have participated in observing a sacred season of fasting and prayer as we have prepared for this special general conference session. And we praise God there are thousands upon thousands still on bended knees interceding on our behalf as we make a defining decision regarding the future of the United Methodist Church. I thank God for his precious word to us, and I thank him for you, my dear sisters and brothers in Christ. As the general coordinator of the United Methodist Church Africa Initiative, I greet you on behalf of all its members and leaders. We want to thank the Renewal and Reform Coalition within the United Methodist Church for the invitation to address you at this important breakfast meeting. As I understand it, the plans before us seek to find a lasting solution to the long debate over our church's sexual ethics, its teachings on marriage, and its ordination standards. This debate and the numerous acts of defiance have brought the United Methodist Church to a crossroads. One plans, in, one plans invites the people called United Methodists to take a road in opposition to the Bible and 2,000 years of Christian teachings. Going down that road would divide the church. Those advocating for the one church plan would have us take that road. Another road invites us to reaffirm Christian teachings rooted in Scripture and the church's rich traditions. It says, all persons are individuals of sacred worth, created in the image of God, and all persons need the ministry of the church, and we affirm that God's grace is available to all. He keeps going. He keeps talking about the, the very issue at hand that they're dealing with. I'll skip over some of that. He says, however, we extend grace to all people, because we all know we are sinners in need of God's redeeming. We know how critical and life-changing God's grace has been in our own lives. We warmly welcome all people to our churches. We long to be in fellowship with them, to pray with them, to weep with them, and to experience the joy of transformation with them. He, still, he goes on some more and gets a little more detailed with that, but I'm not going to talk about all of that. And then he says this, and this is what I really want you all to hear. This is coming from an African brother writing to the United Methodist Church in America. He says, please hear me when I say as graciously as I can, we Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics. We do not need to hear a progressive U.S. bishop Lecture us about our need to grow up. Let me assure you, we Africans, whether we have liked it or not, have had to engage in this debate for many years now. We stand with the global church, not a culturally liberal church elite in the United States. We stand with our Filipino friends. We stand with our sisters and brothers in Europe and in Russia. And yes, we stand with our allies in America. We stand with farmers in Zambia, tech workers in Nairobi, Kenya, Sunday school teachers in Nigeria, biblical scholars in Liberia, pastors in the Congo, United Methodist women in Cote d'Ivoire, and thousands of other believers in United Methodists across Africa who have heard no compelling reasons for changing our sexual ethics, our teachings on marriage, and our ordination standards. We are grounded in God's word, and the gracious and 
clear teachings of our church. And that we will not yield. We will not take a road that leads us from the truth. We will take the road that leads to the making of disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That was not written by me. That was not written by any of you. That was written from a brother in Christ from a different denomination who speaks a different language from us, who's from a different nation and continent than us, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, standing for the truth, not compromising, exalting the glory of God. And Revelation 7, 9 tells us that's happening all over the place. Now, when we live our lives and we go to the store, and we watch the news, of course, life is extremely hard. We're in a sinful, fallen world, and we find ourselves wrestling with this reality. But we are people of the book. We came to faith in Christ because somebody preached the gospel to us. We came to maturity in Christ, or we are coming to maturity in Christ, because we have stuck with this book, the scriptures. God's word is working in us. And may we see here today that there will be people everywhere in heaven. People from everywhere in heaven. He's doing that. It is sure. The Bible says it. And those people from everywhere will all love Jesus. Who died to ransom them. Let's close by turning to Revelation 21. Our church's food pantry has been working extra hard here recently. We have had our largest weeks ever. Some Wednesdays, we have hit over 300 households. That is a lot. That is a lot of work. That's a lot of effort, a lot of muscle, a lot of sweat. That's a lot. And sometimes, probably not nearly enough, according to some of them, I work there and take the names, check the IDs. We write that down. And just in the last few weeks, we have seen this in Fairdale, Kentucky. Ride through our parking lot. I will not exaggerate. We've seen IDs from Mexico, IDs from Venezuela, Chile or Chile, El Salvador, Brazil, Cuba, Honduras, India, Bosnia, the Ukraine. We had a lady from the Ukraine come through. Me and Coach Harden talked to her for a while. Or me and Curtis talked to her for a while. From the Ukraine. Imagine. All we hear about is Ukraine now, right? A lady from the Ukraine came to our church parking lot. Jamaica. And several other African countries. They're here. They live among us. They shop where we shop. They go to school where we go to school. They play on our church playground. And they are so friendly. They are so friendly. 
And the Bible wants us to know that God made them. And he specifically made their language. And in some ways, in the ways that are beautiful and honorable, made their culture. And sent his son to die for them. May we have that heart. At the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, starting in verse 22, we have a description of heaven in its fullest sense. The new Jerusalem. Heaven and earth had passed away. This is the new heaven that God has set up. And we'll start reading in verse 22. 21, 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, Jesus' light, will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. Look at this. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is that an exclusive, extremely unified group? Yes, it is. Christ alone is the only Savior. Is that a diverse group of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Yes, it is. Being led in worship in heaven by the light of the Lamb. May God make us ready for heaven. May we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And may his word, may his word be what guides us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. That he died for our sins. And we thank you, God, that even now we have brothers and sisters in our family from everywhere. Father, we do pray that this work would keep happening, would keep advancing, and that the nations that don't know you would come to know you, and that the languages that don't have your scriptures would get your scriptures. Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts toward the work you're doing in the world. Father, thank you for this emphasis in the book of Revelation, we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.